if you can't find your own happiness, fulfillment, joy, etc., how can you lead your family to those sorts of things? Welcome to the Rising Kings podcast, where we enable you to raise your standards, elevate your performance, and live to your highest order in business and in life. Now, if you haven't already, make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any feature content. Brother, before we get into today's episode, I want to invite you along to one of our free upcoming masterclasses. This is where I personally take men through our methodology, a specific step-by-step process, the system that we share here on the podcast that you hear about to help men reignite their marriages, amplify their health, and boost their performance across all areas of their life. If you'd like to register and join us, simply head to risingkings.com.au forward slash masterclass. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Rising Kings podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and of course, with me, we've got Ben Selkeld, the founder and director of Rising Kings. Brother, what's up, man? How are you? Good, man. Good to uh, sit here and get to do this again each week. I always like, I think I've said this before, but you know, I always reflect where I'm at, what's going on, you know, week by week. This is, you know, this is a prime opportunity where I get to check in. I'm midway through, well, I've just kicked off actually. I've just kicked off another caffeine, what's called a caffeine reset. So, you know, my energy levels are definitely not at peak performance like they are when one has caffeine. And I've realized over my years and time in it, it's like, I know when it, these things no longer serve and it's time to pull it back. And when I do that, especially around caffeine, man, like I train better on caffeine. Like it's just definitive. I feel it. I can get into the zone much quicker. I can push myself much harder and harder and further, which is crazy. Like I need, it's like, It's not I need, but I choose to use caffeine to assist, to enable me to push myself on that level. Do you really see a difference if you have coffee versus if you don't? Or is it like something that is more mental than anything? No, it's physical. It's I definitely feel it. I'm sure there's some psychological piece in it, but it's pre-training. Like if If I put caffeine into my system, say 100 milligrams of caffeine before I go and do a CrossFit session, when my tolerance is low, and what I mean by that is when I can, when I put caffeine in and I actually feel it, my workouts at least, I've done a a little bit of testing around this, they are at least 30 to 40% higher output. Like I push, I'm able to push that much further. And there's a couple of things, and I've done homework around this and research around it. And it is proven fact for people who you know, put caffeine in their system and it has an impact on them. Like it lifts, you know, boosts heart rate, but also too, like the mental cognition, all these sorts of things that help you in terms of your training. There does, however, for me, come this sort of ceiling, right? And so it comes back into the system and I come up to this ceiling and it's, it's almost like I'm at my limit. So I have caffeine and I work out, but I still feel tired. I'll push myself, but it's not at the intensity that I was getting you know, six weeks ago, six months ago, et cetera. And so this is a personal thing for me. This is where I draw the line. This is where I go, Ben, it's not doing what it's supposed to do at the level that you desire it to have. You've got to do a reset 
it's a six-week protocol I go through. Like I've looked up and I've researched. I've tried one week off it. I've tried four weeks off it. I've tried six months off it. I've tried a year and a half off caffeine. And there's definitely differences in all those, but it's a minimum of six weeks. Because if I take a week off and I put caffeine back in the system, I feel it. But then within a week, I'm kind of back to where I was you know, a week prior you know, in terms of the way I feel. Whereas I know when I do six weeks, I just bring it in and I bring it in gentle, right? Like it's you know, 30 to 50 milligrams of caffeine every other day. And I start then. That kind of prolongs this ability to put caffeine in the system to drive you know, the physical and mental performance. Definitely has, that's the hard part about it. It has that effect on my training. I, you know, even this morning, like I'm four days off caffeine at the moment and yeah, I got through the workout, but I was like, man, it was you know, 50% of the intensity I normally can operate at. I just couldn't get it firing. That man, like that huge of a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone's different though. You know, like I've met guys who train, there's not a lot that train without caffeine, but there are, you know, there's a handful of guys that train without caffeine and girls. Most are all on some form of pre-workout stimulant to get that. It just gives you the rev up. It's, it's why Red Bull is so such a big brand in you know, adrenaline-fueled sports. I, I remember mountain biking, man. Like you, know, you have a can of Red Bull before you go and hit some of these gnarly tracks and you're like, you're just on fire, you're just on point. Whereas you don't have it, you're always wondering, I'm going to crash here. I'm just not switched on. So yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment, man. Like the arm's coming back. Arms slowly getting stronger. I, I see the surgeon next week for a final kind of check in on what I can and can't do and what I got to wait on. The strength, the strength's totally gone, and I just got to pick that back up. But otherwise, yeah, firing in all cylinders, man. Like, and just to add to it for the listeners around caffeine, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who might be listening who go, you know, ah, oh, man, I'm cool with one coffee a day, etc., or two coffees, three coffees. Some people have four coffees, whatever it is. I've had this conversation with a lot of men and people because they're like, oh, yeah, I could give up coffee. And I'm like, why don't you give it a go? I don't need to. I challenge the person to do it, to have a look at the relationship they've developed with caffeine. At the end of the day, caffeine is a drug. It does affect the system, the body. And I've also found when you, like a lot of us are in a state of stress and anxiety and you know manic you know like trying to get stuff done and we're frustrated and weeks fly by and you know and you know, even at home you know like in terms of like a state of fight and flight you know we come home from day of work and we're triggered and we can lose our shit at the kids or at the wife chosen one etc i have found when you remove caffeine the first five days is intense like it's very hard it's like coming off sugar but then what you get you come into this really calm stated modality but what the challenge with it for people like myself is i like peaks man like i thrive off that high high you know it's and then that's my addictive personality and i've kept it at bay because i've got to look at it in terms of like drugs and porn and alcohol and all these sorts of things which i've eradicated and caffeine's kind of my one thing that gives me this spike of you know like let's go this is awesome i'm fucking on etc when I pull it out, you have this more maintained calmness about you. You don't get the highs and you don't get the lows. But what happens is you know, people are like, oh, what's wrong with you, mate? <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm all good. And they're like, 
so you don't see him as fired up self. And it's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm just maintaining this base level. Now, the beauty of it is not from the external point of view, but the internal point of view is like, I can get very connected with myself through my journaling, my meditation, connection with my chosen one, and also with the kids, man. Like, there's just a, a level of calmness that comes with it that you do lose the intensity side of life. I like the intensity side. It's kind of like a fun zone for me to be in. But in saying that, I can't just redline it every day for the rest of my life because it's just not going to work. So that's why I do these resets, man. And that's where I'm at at the moment. So you probably hear it in my voice as you listen to this podcast. You're like, man, the dude sounds like he's, <laughs> he's down on life. Like I'm not down. I'm just way more plateaued than I can be when I'm fully fired up. Cool. So you started, you just started and you got what, six more weeks or about five more weeks, right? Five and a half weeks. I'll do this. We run five-week sprints in our quarters. And so this five weeks, that's my challenge is no caffeine for those five weeks plus the week prior. Well, I just really want to take a quick shout out to a friend of mine who uh, I got a text, another buddy of mine text and said that uh, my buddy Lennox from back in the States passed and uh, shout out to you. I'll miss you, brother. And it kind of goes uh, with what I wanted to talk about today, which is like the importance of, you know, the relationship between boys and their dads, right? I bring up Lennox because when we had worked together, I think uh, he would probably be in his late 60s, early 70s now. But when we worked together, he was a single dad, was doing everything for his son. And all he talked about back then was his son, right? It was, you know, Junior has to get this, Junior needed that, and I got to work, you know, extra hard because Junior, you know, needed to, I think his son was going to college to be a pilot or something along those lines back then. And then it was just kind of, you know, like everything he did was always around his son. And, you know, over the weekend, I was reflecting with some buddies of mine and he was talking about, you know, his relationship with his son, who's I think 12, 13 years old now, and got me really, you know, thinking about like my relationship with my kid. Like I don't, now I don't have a boy. I have two daughters, right? They're babies. And it just got me thinking about my relationship with my dad. And for me, I feel like a lot of guys that I get a chance to speak with didn't necessarily have the best relationship with their father. Now, for me personally, my relationship was basically non-existent. You know, my parents were a bit separated, not by choice, but because, you know, my dad was living in the States, we were living in the Philippines, and I really didn't get a chance to spend time with him till I was about 10 years old. And and even then, you know, I was already a certain individual and here he is, you know, here I am going into his life after so many years. And that transition for us just never really worked out. So me and him never had a good relationship. And for me, I was kind of happy I didn't have a boy because I really wouldn't know how to navigate that relationship. So really kind of, you know, kind of, yeah, what I wanted to talk about today was just the importance of that father-son relationship. Now, I know you've got, you know, Bodie, who's what, 12, 13 years old now? He's 12 tomorrow, man. Tomorrow's his birth. So it's interesting we're talking on this subject. Yeah. Shout out to Bodie, man. Happy birthday, <laughs> Happy birthday for tomorrow. to you, Bodie. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, for me, you know, having a son, you know, from your end, I'm curious, like, what are the most important benefits of making sure that you have like a strong father-son relationship. Yeah. Man, you know, the biggest thing that I work on, and I still do to this day, 
12 years old. And there's one thing I have worked on since day dot, or at least becoming aware of my role as a father and the relationship I want to develop with my son, Bodhi, is all around trust. And so I run this, it's like a mantra or it's like a sentence I say every time something goes down, you know, Bodhi doing something, it's just like, man, truth is trust. And so when it comes to Bodhi, I'm always looking for the truth. I don't reprimand Bodhi the same way that my father reprimanded me. Like the stuff I got in trouble for when I was young, it like is a hundred X what Bodhi gets in trouble for. Well, when I say in trouble, like trouble is probably not the right word, gets reprimanded for doing, right? Like I'm more interested in, hey, something just went down. That's not cool. Like I'm not okay with that. What I want to understand is what's the truth behind that situation that just occurred. No, like even when I know the truth, like I know the truth, I want to know, can he speak the truth? Because I want to develop trust with him. I want to be able to trust him that if he's, when he's a teenager and he's a bit older and he's like, hey, I want to go with my mates down here. I want to do this. I want to do that, that I can go, hey man, yeah, I I trust you because I know you'll give me the truth if shit hits the fan. So that's the first thing I've really worked hard on. And, and to be able to build a, a relationship that enables Bodhi to tell me the truth, I've got to look at it through the lens of, well, every time he does something that I don't agree with or that has caused a problem, there is a negative consequence off the back of it. I can't come down on him like a ton of bricks and just be like, that's unacceptable. You can't do that. Da, da, da. Because as a boy, you're just going to shut down and you're going to be like, fuck, man, well, I'm not going to tell him <laughs> anything again. You know, he won't explain it. And I feel that was kind of like the way I was as a boy. Like I was too shit scared of my father to tell him like the truth most of the time because I'm like, man, I'm going to get hammered here if I tell him what really happened or if I come to him with a situation that's occurred that I feel a little bit uncomfortable with where me and my mates did something. And I want to know, you know, or I feel like I need to get it off my chest. I was too afraid to go to my father around it because I was worried I would get, you know, slammed for it. I've really worked consciously. And so Chosen One and I've really worked consciously on developing this type of relationship with Bodhi where it's like, it's truth over getting hammered on it. Now in that though, I always point out that everything you do has consequences. And so for him to understand that there are consequences and you know if he makes that choice this is the outcome and this is what that's going to be and that might be in terms of getting a penalty for choice that he's made but I always acknowledge and I'm always grateful when he brings the truth forward and so I think that's one of the biggest things at least for me that I've understood around being a father is I want to really build this layer of trust between my son and myself because I think as he gets older and goes into his teens and 20s and whatever it is, like I want to be the person that he can come to to share, you know, feeling that, hey, I trust that I can come and speak to my father about this. So that's one of the strongest things, man. And then, you know, the other thing is just leading by example. Like I want to raise a man. I want Bodhi to understand that, you know, he's still a boy. He's still young. He's 12 years old. I don't expect him to be the perfected individual. And I've got to check myself on that sometimes. And so Chosen One and I always remind ourselves around this, you know, like it's don't impart expectations I have of a 40-year-old man onto a 12-year-old boy. And so it's looking at those sites of things as well, but also too, at the same time, it's 
hey, this is why I do what I do, Bodhi. This is why I say, you know, we don't have screens on during the week. This is why, you know, one of the big things in our house is like, there's no TV in the mornings. And he's like, well, my friends watch TV. They have TVs in their rooms. And I explained to him, you know, the reason I don't want to do that is because if you're over there watching TV and Lily's over there watching TV and we're all segmented, like how do we stay together as a family unit? We want to stay bonded and tight and connected. And during the week, we're busy, you know, like kids run off to school, we run off to work. So we've only got these short periods of time where we want, where we get the chance to hang out and be together. So, you know, it's just really explaining the reasoning behind the things that we do. And that's another big thing. I've always been, even since I was little, you know, there was sometimes I would explain things to Bodhi. He'd be three years old. And I remember chosen one going, <laughs> Darling, he's three years old. He has no idea what you're telling him right now. <laughs> and I'm like, that it's like a practice. I was like, darling, this is a practice. Yeah. He may or may not, and it, it doesn't matter, but I want, if I can explain this to him and I get this practice going so that every time I say, no, you can't do that, instead of just saying, no, well, why can't I do that? Because I said, you know, which is like the easiest cop out we've had. And that's, you know, that's how I was brought up. Well, why can't I do that? Because I said, that's why, that's the rules of the house. I want to be able to explain to him and Lily, this is why I make that choice. This is why we're saying no to this. This is why we're asking to do this is, you know, to put underneath it a really like a, a deep understanding of why we make these decisions. And that all of it, it really ties back into, we love you. We care for you. We want, you know, the best for you to create the life that you want to have. And not in terms of like, hey, we just fill it with more stuff. But if I can help Bodhi create the resilience and awareness, he's going to be like lanes and lanes ahead of boys like myself, where I never learned through awareness. I never had that awakening at that level. I got it in my 30s. And that's why Rising Kings is formed is we have a generation of boys that want to transition to men. And we're only just sort of figuring this stuff out now. Well, that's, and I think you're absolutely right, right? And for me, like, I know I'm that same way. I was never really guided. Me and my father never really had that strong bond and that trust with each other. Because again, his way was, you know, I'm the man of the house. I'm the provider. You do as I say. I don't need to explain anything to you. And for me, you know, sometimes like, actually, matter of fact, we had this conversation yesterday. You know, Mia's at that point where she's constantly asking the whys. And I told Julie, I'm like, stop just telling her because, and that's that. I'm like, you know, we need to start explaining things to her because at the end of the day, she's going to look for an explanation. We need to be able to practice this now because when that hard question does come and those hard questions are going to start coming, you know, faster than we know it, we need to just be able to learn how to explain and have that strong enough relationship and that bond with them. So that they can trust us. But, and I'm curious to you, like from your end, and you know, it, with the guys that you've worked with and the guys that are in legacy, not everybody is aware enough to be able to go, okay, I didn't have this growing up. I want to make sure that, you know, my kid has that strong bond relationship, you know, that I never had with my father. I'm curious, like, what are the biggest challenges that most guys face when they're, starting to want to build that bond with their kids that they may not have had a clear example of from their father 
or from their, you know, that man in their life? A big thing that I've seen, right? So, you know, there's probably a lot of listeners here that go, oh, that's easy for you, Ben. You've got a 12-year-old. I've got a 17-year-old son who doesn't talk to me. How do I fix this? And I get that. And that's why I've been really conscious of it from an early age. Now, in saying this, though, I know for a fact, based on stuff that I've read, and one of the biggest influences that has helped me navigate raising boys uh, has been a lady by the name of Maggie Dent, and she's she's got amazing books and stuff out. I just remember this one thing she said once. She's like, because she interviewed a bunch of teenage boys, et cetera. And, you know, boys go through this kind of journey where they're, you know, they're very connected and loving and cuddling and, you know, they hold your hand and all that sort of stuff. And then as they sort of move into their teenage years, they will pull away from the family unit. They will go down their own path. We can get, you know, quite frustrated by that as parents because we're like, we're just trying to fucking help you. You know, what's the problem? We're on your side. And then like, you know, they grunt and I'm told like, this is what I've seen, but, you know, like they grunt, they don't want to deal with it. You know, shut the door, don't talk to me, et cetera. Through this interview process that Maggie Dent went through, these teenage boys said, like, what's the one thing that you would tell your parents around this? And they're like, please don't give up on me. Like, man, I get quite emotional thinking about it because I think this is one of the biggest problems is we go, well, I can't get through to him. Fuck it. You know? And so as a father, we go, well, I'm not going to support him. I don't, you know, like he can just deal with his own stuff and we're good at it. I'll just go and get on with my life. And so I just keep coming to that because we're going through that stage at the moment. Like Bodie, you know, he's 12, man. Like he's you know, moving into those teenage years and I'm watching him become more independent and kind of like doing his own thing and the way that he does it. And I just keep running that script in my head. Don't give up on him. Don't give up on him. Don't give up on him. And I always come at it with, you know, like the, a practice again of unconditional love. And I think these are the big things that we've got to look at. It's for the man that or the father that might be really struggling right now. It's how can you practice unconditional giving or unconditional love towards the son or the daughter that you want to connect with, especially around boys? Like it's unconditional sounds hard and it is because it's like, well, I've done all this for him and he's done nothing for me. (laughs) Why would I want to keep trying to fix and work with him? And it's like, because he's your son. Like it's, it's one of the most important pieces you will ever play, if not the most important as a father, whether that's with a daughter or son, like this is the most important, beautiful role you will ever get to experience and have in this short lifetime that we live. You have to believe that though. And I think once you believe that and you're willing to play that game, that can change that dynamic. And that doesn't mean that the son's all of a sudden you give unconditional love and two weeks later, it's like, ah, it's a miracle. You know, (laughs) he's he wants to talk to me and he wants to connect with me. This It could be a 30-year path. It's just, again, coming back to don't give up on it because the man, the, the boy will turn around at some point. I, like, I'm perfect example of that. Like I was the son that, you know, like, ah, dad's not cool. I don't want to hang out with dad and all that sort of stuff. I went off to uni as soon as I could. I, you know, I moved down to Sydney and I was at university and you know, I've been down here living my life since. And, you know, I have worked on my relationship with my father to now come to him with the unconditional love so that I can have a deep connection with my father, you know, and I don't know how many weeks, months, years are left in our relationship, but it's like, I've come back to the family and I I want to, you know, love my father for everything that he's done. You know, it's, and again, it's crazy. We're talking about this today, man, because I actually, this morning, I don't know why, but I got out of the shower and I was thinking, I don't think I ever thanked my parents 
for putting me through I paid you know I paid for university through Hex but they put me up in accommodation down here in Sydney for nearly 4 years and man it's one of those things I just took you know I took for granted at the time well that's fucking you know they're my parents they should do that it's all these little things that you know I reflect on because I'm like well you know, here I am expecting Bodhi to thank me every time I put a meal in front of him on the table you should thank you know like I made that for you that's underneath you know under now I don't actually say it but it's like they're little things like that for his birthday, you know, he gets all these gifts and it's like, man, you, you know, you get it so good. This is again, what I'm thinking in my own mind because I'm judging those situations to remind myself, Hey man, he's just a, he's just a boy. It's not about him saying, thank you. It's me giving, gifting him these things unconditionally. And I think that's, if we can learn to do that as a generation of fathers, I think we're going to have a huge impact on how these boys transition up into men over the next couple of generations because if i go back to your example with your father like if even though you didn't see a lot of him but if you felt unconditional love through that relationship where it's not conditional it's not like you know i only do things when i see you because you know da 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 and our conversations are like oh well michael's doing his thing we're very different fuck it i don't care about you not that they say that but that's kind of the feeling we get we go oh well they don't really care about me but if we had those fatherly figures that were just there, that just gave unconditionally through kindness and love over and over and over and over and over again, I really do think we would have a very different scenario in terms of the amount of you know, men that actually are men versus men that are just grown up boys. Yeah. And you're right. Like for me, you know, like one of the biggest reasons I played sports was because I looked at my coaches as that male role model who really, in a way, like uh, there's one particular coach who really was just showing me things that he didn't have to as in terms of what it meant to be a man. He knew my relationship with my dad and stuff like that. You know, I'll never forget Coach Jake, but he was just one of these guys who really knew what my situation was. And regardless of what happened, he had always there to be, you know, he was always there to show up, you know. If I couldn't make it to practice or whatever, my dad couldn't take me and and he would always, you know, hey, I'll pick you up because I was good friends with his son. So I always picked him, you know, hey, I was always picked up. I was, you know, always went out for ice cream after, you know, all like just all of that stuff that we did. And growing up, you know, it was like I was more comfortable with approaching him about certain problems than I was with my own father. And for me, you know, I always tell myself, Regardless of what, you know, if I have a boys or girls, the one thing that I want to make sure that I was, was the dad that I had always wanted in my life. And I always wanted to make sure that I was present as much as I possibly can. I was the guy that would play catch, would, you know, teach my kids how to ride a bike and, and would make sure that really like what you're trying to do with Bodhi is that when they have problems, I want to make sure that they can come to me knowing that I'm not going to judge them knowing that I'm not just going to sit there and go, hey, you know, you're an idiot for making that decision. This is what you should have done. And just never really having that open line of communication. I think most of us guys that are in your 30s and 40s now wish we had back then. And I think a lot of guys that are probably listening to this podcast are going, okay, that's not what I had. How do I evolve so that my kids can have that avenue? And I don't think most of us know how to even get started because it was something that we never had. So therefore, we're walking into the situation, you know, blind. I think you, there's 
couple of valid points you pick up on here, but it's like until you start fixing yourself, it's going to be really hard to adjust and not bring this, what we call like past trauma into the now, right? Like how we were brought up as a kid. And it's the only way to make that change is you're going to have to work on yourself first. And that was the piece that's got me to this point is the fact that you know a decade ago I made the decision I I got to sort myself out and I got to figure out you know like what does it mean to be a father what did my father do that I want to do differently and then also too finding forgiveness to that and finding forgiveness to my father etc so I'm not just carrying that load so to speak and that trauma into my relationship with Bodhi the other point that I just wanted to touch on as you, as you brought it up is the notion around male mentors and role models for boys. Because I also look at it, hey, I've got a beautiful relationship with Bodhi. There are going to be some things I have no doubt. He may not be comfortable coming and telling me when he gets older. I don't know. Like in the perfect world, he'll come and tell me everything. In reality, that probably is not going to be the case. So I now look at it and go, well, who are men that have similar values and alignment to myself If Bodhi has something that he needs to talk about that he doesn't feel comfortable talking about with me, that he can go and talk with them. And I think this is what we call male role models. And it's a piece where we're looking at developing over the next, you know, one to two years, but it's, you know, building out a network of men, like proper men who are, you know, rising king's men, that the sons of our of us can come and talk to one of these brothers. And I think that's you know, that's very powerful because then all of a sudden it's like it's not Bodhi has to go and sort this out or find some random person where he shares it or he carries it himself, but he can actually go and divulge and share without feeling guilt, shame, judged, et cetera, because he's going and, and ask and speaking with, you know, a mentor, so to speak. And I think that's very important as well. So, you know, as you know, I introduce Bodhi to a lot of the brothers when they have the opportunity, if they come and stay, when we go to Code Black, et cetera, like that. And I think him being involved with with these guys, you know, it's like Man, you know, if there's ever a situation where you can't, you don't want to talk to me, Bodhi, you know, you can always lean in on these guys. And right now at twelve, it's I'm sure it's it's not something that's going to happen. But I'm just seeding this so that when he's you know 15, 16, 17, and it's like I don't want to tell dad about that. It's like, well, man, you, no problem. You can go and speak with these guys. So I think that's another very important part, and that's an important role as a father is to set that network up in place, and really just to be able to be that example. Because the one thing that like. My mom used to always say to me, when me and my dad would get into certain situations, and we got into a lot of physical situations when I was in my teens, was, you know, sort of, she used to always say, just forgive him because he doesn't know much. I always, you know, and my aunts would always go, you know, their dad treated my father a certain way. And for me, it's like, you could only do so much with what you know, because his dad, you know, grew up a certain way and his dad grew up a certain way. And for me, I feel like a lot of guys are like, okay, I know that the way my dad, you know, taught me isn't necessarily how I want to teach my kids, but how do I go about that? Like, what do I do first? And I think like most guys just kind of go, I know what I want to do. I don't know how to get started. You know what? Fuck it. And just ends up being that guy that's always triggered. And we, you know, spoke to a guy a couple of weeks and that was his thing. It's like, his frustrations with his kids, instead of being able to have a conversation about it, just goes off into a yelling match. And my question to you is, there's a lot of guys out there that I know can relate, right? How do you begin to learn 
and build. Whether the kid is eight, obviously it's going to be easier if he's younger, but whether he's 18 or 28, because we know sooner or later, it's going to go full circle, right? Like things will work out, but you just don't want it to work out when it's too late. And for me, it's like, how does a guy really first take that step to go, son, I know you're going through some shit, or I know that, you know, we never had that great relationship, but let's start building it now before I'm 110 years old. It all comes down to the father first. The father has to sort himself out. Like, there's no other way around it because getting angry at the kids and losing your shit at the kids, like, even if you go, hey, I want to form a relationship with you, you know, I want to stop yelling. Got to dig it. Why am I yelling in the first place? It's not because little Johnny spilt milk on the floor or, you know, did something that, um, you know, pissed off the neighbor, et cetera. It's a deeper internal thing. Like it's really around our own triggers. We don't understand ourselves enough. And that's what causes these flare ups. And the reason I say this is not only through my own case point on this, that it's like I only lose my shit when there's a trigger inside me that hasn't been fixed, but it's all the men that come into Rising Kings. And one of the big things we do is like we work on ourselves. Like when you sort this out, all this other stuff starts to actually, you know, sort itself out on its own. Because if you come to a son's, oh, I want to develop a relationship, and he's like, yeah, yeah, cool, dad, let's do it, let's do it. And then three weeks later, the son does something that goes against what you said, and you're like, you fucking, you broke the bond, you know, that's not fair. It's like, dude, that's that's your own stuff. So my point I'm making here is for the guy who wants to develop that relationship with his son, he's got to start on himself. That is self-work. And that's, you know, what Rising Kings does at the end of the day. It's like, we got to get underneath and figure out what is actually sitting here in terms of your identity. What is it you want? Why do you want it? Who do you need to be in order to get it? All these sorts of things that includes parenting so that you can get clear on that so that when you go and you speak with little Johnny and say, hey, I want to form this relationship with you, you know that, hey, I'm clearing out all the shit I'm bringing into this relationship so that I can create space for us to bond. And until that's done, man, you can come in and say whatever you want Every week, hey, I want to form a relationship. I want to, I want to, I want to listen. I want to listen. I want to listen. The truth is, until you've created the space inside through this type of work, man, it's just not going to work. And if you come back to it, hey, I want to lead by example. What do we want to teach little Johnny? Like it's, we want Johnny to feel confident, happy, self-aware. We want him to have self-love for himself. We want him to be able to step into the world and not let the external environment de- you know, decide what decisions he makes that he can feel confident in and of himself. Hey man, how do you do that? You lead by fucking example. How do you lead by example? You sort your own shit out. I read this quote the other day. can't remember where it was. I've probably screwed it up, but it pretty much runs along the lines of this. If you can't find your own happiness, fulfillment, joy, etc., how can you lead your family to those sorts of things? That's at the end of the day, that's what we want for our children. You ask any man, what do you want? For? I just want them to be happy. I just want them to be fulfilled. I want them to believe in themselves. I want them to love themselves. How the fuck are you going to do that when you haven't even done that for yourself? That's Ben Sockeld, and I'm Michael, and this has been another episode of the Rising Kings podcast. Stay strong. So brother, thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. I hope you got a lot of value out of it. 
If you want to know more about Rising Kings, the methodology, the system, and how we do it, I highly recommend you register for one of our upcoming Rising Kings masterclasses. You can do this by heading to risingkings.com.au forward slash masterclass. 